Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Gabe. Just a quick note before I begin the sermon that last Sunday we were in Matthew 20. We learned about the parable of the, the laborers who worked different hours in the vineyard, but all got the same pay. This Sunday, we're also in the parable of, of the vineyard as well in chapter 21. The father has two sons. One says no, but then follows the father's orders. The other says yes, but doesn't. Next Sunday, we're still in Matthew 22, and it's still the parable of the vineyard, another vineyard. And, and then it goes to where the wicked tenants kill the son. So I share all this with you because three weeks in a row, you're going to hear about vineyards, and you're going to say, you know, Pastor Russ, I'm getting sick of vineyards. But <laughs> it's just to draw the connection between these parables are connected. And so, and so let your minds run loose as you're thinking about these parables. Will you join me for prayer? Holy and gracious Father, we thank and praise you. We thank and praise you for your word, and we ask, gracious Father, that you would speak your word to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our parable for today asks a question, or the passage from Matthew asks a question of us. And the question is this, are you a tax collector or a chief priest? Or to say it another way, are you a prostitute or an elder? Or finally, are you a sinner or are you one of those religious types? Now, if you're like me, you want a third option. <laughs> Lord, I'm neither of those things. But in the passage, Jesus doesn't give us a third option. Either you're a sinner who can only trust in Jesus, or you're one of those self-righteous types who trust in self. And so which one is it? In fact, I was shocked because sometimes these parables are so familiar to us that we don't see the real thrust of it and we miss the deep point. In fact, in verses 31 and 32, Jesus throws a zinger out at us. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, chief priests and elders. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Are any of you shocked by that kind of verse? I mean, when I read it, it stopped me in my tracks, partially because I'm one of those religious leaders. I'm going, oh, Lord. But it's even more, these, this passage is, is, is filled with questions. I mean, listen again. I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Notice Jesus doesn't say the ex-tax collectors and the ex-prostitutes who reform their ways are entering ahead of you. He doesn't say that. He simply says the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. There's no mention of reform in their own lives. This isn't a moral passage. Jesus isn't making us a moral point. Now, of course, Matthew, in his life, he, he gave up being a tax collector, and the woman caught in adultery. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't want us to continue in our sinful ways, but Jesus isn't talking about that in this passage. 
Jesus is saying to these religious leaders that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Talk about a racy statement. And yet this shouldn't surprise any of us. Jesus says racy things, but it's more than that. We're also, we know that we're all sinners. We know that sin crouches at our doors. We know that the person who reforms their life one day sometimes falls back into it the next. I mean, there's a reason why we begin our service with confession. <laughs> because we are sinners. Did you hear about the man who told the pastor that he stopped going to church because there were too many hypocrites? The pastor replied, oh, don't worry. We saved room for you. <laughs> the church is filled with sinners, filled with hypocrites. Jesus is making an important statement when he's saying that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going ahead of the religious leaders. And his point is that sinners who trust in him going to heaven. Saints who trust in themselves don't. We need to remember that. And yet Jesus says more than just that in this passage. Because not only does he say this, but he says something else in this passage. He says, sinners enter the kingdom of heaven ahead of the religious leaders. Listen again to the verse. Truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you, the chief priests and elders. Talk about a reversal of sorts. I mean, who in your mind would you think would be in the front of the line to heaven? Come on. You know who's in your mind, right? Billy Graham. The saints who've gone before. The pastors, the ones that you really like. The ones you don't, you go, well, you might be in the back of the line somewhere. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'm not going to say anything about bishops. <laughs> it is unusual. Those are the people we expect to be in front. And then we consider ourselves kind of middle-of-the-road people, and so we would be next. And then we have our neighbors, those tax collectors, those cheaters, those prostitutes. They're probably not going to get in at all. But if they are, they'll be in the back of the line. That's how we think. And I know I'm not the only one who thinks this way. And yet what Jesus says in the verse, in this verse, is he's flipping it all around. He says, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you, chief priests and elders. Talk about a reversal of things. Not what you might expect. I have a friend who, who lives in my neighborhood a little bit. And it's a young man who, who is very likable. He's a lot of problems, but very likable. And I was pushing my, or walking my daughter around the block in our neighborhood, and, and this young man flew out of this house. And he says, I'm done. I quit. Is this all you want from me? I can't do it. And he walked out. I didn't know what was going on. I had my little daughter next to me. I don't know what to do, but I finally talked to him. And he told me that he was trying to see his, 
his little girl. His, the wife, the woman, not his wife, but the woman that, you know, he had a child with, lives with her parents, also in the neighborhood. And he basically isn't allowed to see her or the child, her, his son, because, you know, he drinks a little too much. He doesn't give enough money to uh, see him. And uh, he's kind of a bad influence. And so he ended up, yeah, the other day, he brought diapers so that he could see his son, but they were the wrong kind. And so they said, you got to leave. And that's where he was at. Well, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, we're walking with him. And suddenly he told me that, you know, he goes, you know, I've gone to church for the last two Sundays. I go, which one? He goes, oh, well, the woman's church, you know, my, my girlfriend's church. And I'm going with her parents. And they said that if I become a good person, you know, I can see the son, my son more. I go, well, how has church been for you? And he put his head down because he said it's been terrible. Why? Well, two weeks ago, he said during testimony time, his father-in-law in sorts, I mean, not really father-in-law, but the girl's dad stood up and said in front of the whole congregation how awful he is. The next Sunday, he went back. The pastor stood up and said, how awful he is. And he said to me, he said, he just said, what should I do? The first thing I said, don't go back. I wanted to say, tell him to go to hell, but <laughs> I'm sorry, but I was so mad. At a church that would do that, I held my tongue. I looked at him and I said, God loves you. And Jesus died on the cross for you. And church is a place for sinners. Jesus loves sinners. I said, come to this church or I'll give you the name of a dozen other churches. But don't go to any place that's going to do that to you. He thanked me. We talked some more, and I, I'm praying for him. And I pray for him as well. Pray for pastor's friend. And pray that he finds a church where he hears the good news. I think the worst part in all of this, though, as I was talking to him, is he believed it. He thought that he has no place in the church. Unless he reforms his life, unless he gets it all back together, unless he pays all the child support stops all the drinking, then he might be okay and acceptable in church. But until then, he's on the outside. That's how he thinks. That's how we think, though, but in different degrees. We think that that's how God is. God's saying, reform your life, and I'll bless you. If you don't, I'll curse you. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Church is for sinners. Now, how do you think the chief priests and the elders took these words from Jesus? You think they liked what Jesus had to say? No. And in, in verse 23, Jesus says this. In verse 23, they say to Jesus, oops, I turned the page, sorry. Verse 23, 
somewhere around here. Here it is. They say to Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? In other words, what they're really saying is, who do you think you are, Jesus? How can you possibly say that? Jesus, do you think church is a place for the riffraff? What will happen if they actually come in? Jesus, you want cheaters and you want prostitutes in this place? I don't think so. And you're going to say that they're ahead of us, the religious people who do all the right things? You better not say that. What gives you the right to say that? Who gives you that authority? That's what they're asking in that question because they're fed up with him. Well, Jesus says, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. And so he says, John the Baptist, where did his authority come from? And the chief priests and others go, well, if we say from God in heaven, we're in trouble because John the Baptist pointed and testified to me. So we can't say from heaven. But if we say then it's from man, well, the people are going to string us up. So they say what all good politicians say. We don't know. They gave the safe answer. And Jesus said, well, if you don't know, neither do I. I'm not going to tell you. And that's his response. But Jesus knows something. He knows something important. He knows that he's talking to a brick wall. He knows he's not going to convince them with this kind of talk. They don't want to listen to him. They want to accuse him. And so Jesus doesn't give them the answer. He sticks it to them, which I always like when, a, when the religious leaders get a little jab, because that's important. They need those jabs. You can say your jabs to me. It'll keep me humble, I promise. But I also like something else about Jesus' response. When you're reading the Bible, he's never trying to convince people of his authority. He has it, but he's not saying, you know, I'll give you five reasons why you should believe me. He doesn't say, you know, I'm going to do three things so that you might really believe who I am. He never does that. And that's important because what he does is he knows that his authority, authority is based on who he is, not on what he does, though what he does is important. But he has authority because he's the son of God. This is important for us because how many times of us have we prayed? And we said, you know, Jesus, if you're real, do such and such. You know, if you're really the Lord, do such and such. Am I the only one who's ever done that? No, it's a hand in the back. Good. One honest soul. There is an atheist professor who is trying to teach his class, his philosophy class, there's, God doesn't exist. And so he stood up and he yelled to the ceiling. He said, God, if you are real, knock me off the podium. I'll give you 15 minutes. Five minutes went by. Nothing happened. God, if you're real, knock me off the podium. Nothing happened for five minutes. Five minutes to go. God, if you're real, knock me off the podium. About a minute to go, he says this. God, if you're real, knock me off of the podium. At that point, a young ex-Marine got up and knocked him down. <laughs> well, the guy got up and he said, well, why did you do that? And he said, well, God was busy, so I answered for him. <laughs> kind of like that, but <laughs> I think that's how we think God works. God, if you're real, do this. God, if you're real, take care of this. God, if you're real, turn these stones 
into bread. Remember what the devil said to Jesus in the temptation. If you're really the Son of God, prove yourself. We all fall in this trap. And Jesus says, I don't prove myself that way. Prove myself this way, dying on the cross, raising from the dead. But I don't prove myself in any other way. It's important for all of us to understand. Because Jesus proves himself by what he did on the cross, not based on any little trick he might do for us. So remember that. Pray. God loves to hear your prayer. God answers your prayers. But Jesus isn't a puppet on our string. Jesus has authority because he's the son of God. And what Jesus dares us to do is he dares us to believe in him, even without doing any tricks. It's important. And yet, isn't this still hard to believe? Isn't it especially hard to believe that God would really welcome sinners and prostitutes? Isn't this hard to believe that, that, that God is merciful and gracious to us? Jesus knows that, and so he speaks the parable. And in the parable, Jesus talks about a father who asks his two sons to work the vineyard. The first son insults his father. And this is a shaming culture. To say no to your father in that culture is very different from our own, right? All these dads are going, I know, our kids say it all the time. In that culture, it's a shame, shame, shame to do. You've insulted your father in such a way that you can't even repair it. And so that first son says no, but realizes what, he's, what he does, and he changes. The second son says, sure I will, and doesn't. Now, what does this parable mean? Well, the second son, those are the religious leaders. The religious leaders say yes to God. They do what needs to be done. They're religious. They're moral. They're good people. Their lives are yes to God. But the moment Jesus comes, the moment Jesus shows up, he says, believe in me. And these religious leaders can't believe that God would actually eat with sinners. And so they reject Jesus, which means in the parable they refuse to work the vineyard. These are the very ones in the earlier parable who grumbled after working a full day, saying, you've paid them the same wage as us. And these are the very ones in the next parable who, when the sun comes, they're going to kill him. Why? Because they can't believe that God really saves sinners. The second son, or the first son, that's the tax collectors and prostitutes. They're the ones whose very lives say no to the Father. Their lives are full of rebellion. They don't want to do God's work. They don't want to be in church. They say, no way, no thank you, God. Their lives are an insult to the Father. But when Jesus comes near, for some reason they're drawn to him. Maybe it's because no one's ever really cared for them. Maybe it's because they know their sin and they have no chance before God without mercy. Whatever the reason, when Jesus shows up, they trust in him. Probably because Jesus took the lowest of forms. Remember our parable or the epistle reading? When Jesus or Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For some reason, when these lowly tax collectors and prostitutes saw Jesus, they couldn't help but believe in him. They couldn't help but trust in him. And in trusting in Jesus, they did the Father's will. Because Jesus tells us in John 6, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. No mention of good works there. No mention of religious duties there. Whoever looks to the Son and believes in him has done my Father's will. So back to our original question. Are you a tax collector or a chief priest? Are you a prostitute or an elder? Are you a sinner or are you religious? Be careful how you answer this question. Jesus did not come for the righteous, but for sinners, which means he came for you and he came for me, and thank God for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God's word fun? <laughs>